this week on the Back Table Podcast. I think there is a few little pearls with the technique, you know, in this kind of a scenario. I mean, it's a small vessel. The clod's pretty wedged in there. Uh, the catheter is smaller. You, you know, leave it for a little bit. You know, I think uh, the number one thing I see is that, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're impatient. We're, we're, we want, we're, 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 really want to think about an ingestion phase of that little, you know, clot. So, so if you're going to go after it, you know, um, hook it up to some suction, pull out for a couple minutes. Well, well, this thing gets really, really wedged in the tip because, you know, you've got a long path to retrieve and there, and you don't want to take your M3 and then put it as a distal M1 or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've there. all been there. Yeah. yeah so, so, uh, hang on to it if you're going to do it for sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things endovascular and more. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any podcast platform you like. You can also find us on Backtable.com and any of our social media accounts at underscore Backtable. We'll keep you up to date with the latest and greatest from Backtable. Sarah Novis, part of Johnson & Johnson Medical Devices Companies, is a global leader in neurovascular care. Their commitment to changing the trajectory of stroke is inspired by their long heritage and dedication to helping physicians protect people from a lifetime of hardship. Serenovis offers a broad portfolio of devices used in the endovascular treatment of hemorrhagic and ischemic stroke. I'm Sabine Dond, an interventional radiologist here in Los Angeles, California, and we've got a real special treat for you today. We've got two superstars of neurovascular intervention. We've got Dr. Satoshi Tadashima, and Dr. Blaze Baxter. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks, thank you. Man. <laughs> you know, thank you. Thank you. Really, really excited to learn from you guys. You know, our topic today is going to be aspiration versus co-aspiration. And uh, it's a pretty hot topic about what to do in these cases and stroke. But before we get there, I mean, I kind of want to get our listeners to know you, if not already. I mean, Satoshi, I'll start off with you, um, you know, aside from looking up in the sky while you're flying over us, um, tell us a little bit more about your stroke program and where you're at. Oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, first of all, you know, I was not really planning to new endovascular guy. I was, uh, you know, trying to be an open vascular guy, but, uh, yeah, I spent one year at, uh, UCLA. That was my plan, uh, to, uh, do some research. And at that time we had, a a lot of programs like uh, Mercy Retriever, uh, a lot of uh, new devices were coming and I got fascinated by uh, those activities. And then I changed my track and now I'm a full-time uh, neurointerventionalist, uh, part of a UCLA stroke program. Uh, we have uh, six neurointerventionalists and three fellows covering uh, uh, UCLA, UCLA Santa Monica and Long Beach Memorial and uh, providing 24-7 service. and. What's, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, not really unique, but uh, our, uh, our mission is, uh, of course, you know, we have to provide uh, best care to the patients, but at the same time, uh, we identify the knowledge gap and also we identify the limitation and work with the industry and make new devices. That's our passion. That's what, what we do. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, we've all heard great things coming from UCLA. I mean, the mercy was was invented there, right? right. So it's, uh, it's great. It's really pretty cool to see what all, um, advancements you guys do. 
Uh, Blaze, uh, you know, if, if I Google search you, the second uh, result is a 43-page amazing CV from the FDA on you. <laughs> so, um, you know, I could list the innumerable accolades you got, but let, let us know about you. You're, you're, you're a famous guy. Well, I, I'm just old. That's what I say, Sabina. If you're, if you're around long enough, <laughs> that's what that's what happens. <laughs> so, uh, so catch my little Canadian uh, oats and the boats, maybe. So um, I trained back in the day in Canada. Had uh, great mentors, uh, Alan Fox and the crew in London, Ontario. And uh, logically, went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's a very logical career path from <laughs> logical to Canada. <laughs> Chattanooga, so, and um, a lot of good grease in Chattanooga, a lot of good fried chicken and uh, mm. stuff. So, so it was like, wow, these stroke cases are crazy. And, and, and obviously was pre all the devices and, and, uh, yeah, thankfully had that mercy retriever kind of get into my hands years and years ago. So it was really a, a kind of, I think a pivotal device. So we don't give it enough credit, you know, but it, but it really changed the game for kind of an intervention platform. And, and, uh, yeah, and we had, a, you know, like just a ton of stroke patients coming in. So it was like, okay, you know, we could really be impactful here. And so, uh, yeah, so I've had just a great uh, time, you know, kind of time in the trenches, just, just uh, you know, kind of doing the stroke cases. And it's been such a fun ride to see how stroke, how far a stroke has come in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. So, so as we all know, um, it's just really, you know, kind of launched. I think uh, the next 10 years, again, are going to be even as exciting or more exciting. So thanks for profiling uh profiling it for sure oh absolutely no no absolutely yeah speaking of grease i mean there's a i remember a slide once i saw is like all the like fried chicken places there's like a belt of fried chicken and that's, you're right in the middle of that's, that's, we're, 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 we're the, the epicenter it was a good the epicenter right no, no, I mean, it's it's always good so good well you know i thought this kind of conversation because you know, I don't think there's a one-all be-all type of technique. And, and um, you know, even when, when I do stroke, I, I think it's really the location of the L LVO and, and kind of the anatomy that really dictates my technique. But I wanted to go kind of from the beginning, you know, from puncture to then going to intracranial intervention and kind of really delve into your guys's, you know, thought process of, uh, of aspiration and co-aspiration. So to start off, I mean, are you guys, are you going femoral every case? Are, are you changing to radial? Um, does that change with anterior, posterior circulation? Blaze, what do you do? Yeah, so, so good question. I mean, obviously, you know, radial is very trendy and I think rightfully so in our field and, and it's, a, it's a good platform. But I think, uh, as we all know, the workhorse for us for years and years and years has been femoral. You know, I think uh, there's definitely, it's a, just as all this is an evolution, um, you know, I think looking at radio platform um, is great. And I, but I think, um, you know, what will follow and is happening is, you know, Satoshi said in his intro, you know, very, people are very interested, obviously, in, in designing tools, you know, improving, you know, so, so radial, I think, still has some work, you know, to yeah. now modify, you know, kind of the tools, so to speak, to give us tools designed for that platform. And then, I've dabbled as I think, you know, we all have, uh, you know, we, you know, with, uh, even direct chronic access, Hey, is that a viable thing? You know, stroke cases, you know, obviously we're not doing a four vessel study. It's a very targeted, you know, treatment. Yeah. And, and so I think, um, all of these approaches are good for getting the job done when, when we need them, but femoral, you know, by and large is still, you know, kind of the workhorse platform for, I think, you know, frontline strategy, uh, from, for most patients. Absolutely. And, and Satoshi, what about you? I, the same as uh, Blaze, actually. Uh, 
Uh, we we have, uh, you know, done uh, quite a few radial strokes and even brachial axis direct puncture, accorded punctures. But there were reasons, you know, for us to do that because of AAA or known femoral occlusions or, or uh, femoral ultrasound shows the nasty plaques. Then, of course, sometimes, you know, we go for radio. But our default is femoral. reason for that is, you know, all devices are essentially designed for femoral accesses, mm-hmm. right? So... Uh, you know, balloons are really great, and I love a balloon guide, uh, uh, not 100%, but uh, most of the time I use balloon guide, and they're too bulky for radials. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, you know, proximal bulkiness, it's not really necessary in a radial. That's meant to be used in, the, uh, you know, aorta where the catheter is floating and reducing a slack, you know, that's why they're stiff. But in the radio, you know, radio artery itself, it's serving us almost like, almost like a coaxial catheter. Right. Yeah. So we don't have to have a very stiff uh, device in the radio. So, uh, you know, those femoral devices can be slimmed down. And once we achieve, you know, once in our society has those uh, radio uh, specific devices, then I may consider switching for, you know, LVO treatment to radio. But at this point, I think it makes sense to stick to uh, femoral. Great. No, exactly. Very similar in our practice too. And, and again, on the point of if there's some devices designed for radial, then then maybe that'll give us a little bit more. But we are just adapting femoral devices to the radial access. And it's a good segue. You mentioned balloon guide. Pretty much every case when I'm driving in, I think, you know, I, I'm a balloon guide user myself, but I'm thinking, am I going to do a balloon guide this time? Am I going to do a guide catheter? Uh, obviously, such as you're a balloon guide, um, you know, a balloon guide guy. Uh, Blaze, are you as well? So I... Used balloon guides for probably the first six to seven years. Kind of, uh, I went down a bit of the chasing the large bore catheter kind of ride. And, and so that was really, you know, kind of, okay, the ID wasn't big enough through a guide catheter. So you needed to go to sheath world. So, so um, you know, I think, you know, so more recently been in the sheath, you know, as a front line, mm-hmm. but I think, I think it's a great, you know, we ask and we, we, you know, kick this topic around in every meeting and, and you know, I always it's ask true. my hands and it's usually, it was always pretty 50, 50, to be honest. And, and, yeah. and it's, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah, you know, topic of, of debate for sure. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's something that, uh, you know, I, we want to get down to like one system to make it consistent. We have seven operators in my group and it's just, you can't, I mean, everybody's just going to have one or the other and, and we, you know, it's hard to come to data. Satoshi, you're, you're balloon guide each time. Uh, you know, when I look at my, uh, uh, personal data, the chance that I use balloon guide is around 70%. Okay. Uh, so it's okay. not all the time. I know, uh, uh, even my, uh, one of my publications, uh, we realized that the balloon guide is very strong, particularly not just, uh, you know, reducing this emboli overall recanalization rate goes up. So, uh, you know, that's a great tool supported by many, uh, scientific evidences, but sometimes it's just a headache, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. if there, uh, you know, balloon guide is eight French, not the sixth French. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, non-femoral, non-conventional accesses and balloon guide doesn't really help us. So it, it really depending on anatomy and the posterior circulation. I don't think a balloon guide makes a big difference, right? So I go straight to the, uh, guide sheets, uh, and, uh, I don't use centrifuge there, you know, if it's a upper basilar. So depending on anatomy, when I really need the proximal occlusion, yes, I use balloon guide, but the chance is 70%. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then 
you know, I mean, the balloon guides have improved a lot too right. you know, from, from, you know, the cello days. I mean, with the walrus, I feel that that has been very, very helpful for us. Right. And, uh, I know every company is kind of coming out. And so it's kind of exciting to see what balloon guides are going to come. You mentioned posterior circular. Yeah. I, I would be kind of scared to put up a balloon in a vert. Um, yeah. Little, little scary, but absolutely. So let's talk about, so you're, you're, now you're in the neck. Now we're going to go to the intracranial uh, portion of the exam. And, and now you really have these two techniques, aspiration or ADAPT, and then co-aspiration using a stent retriever in combination with some aspiration catheter. What, it, you know, is there any, um, you know, specific techniques on co-aspiration that you use? I know there's a lot of acronyms. Blaze, do you have like a specific one or just like kind of a, an idea of what you do? Yeah, you know, so so certainly, as you say, you know, there's uh, now many, many different strategies. You know, you've got uh, obviously captive, save, you know, badass. All the- <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Badass for sure. <laughs> That's, am I really badass at the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're, 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 you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, yes, so I think uh, for me, you know, you have to pick a frontline approach, obviously. And, and so a little bit of if I go right for a combined approach. It's, it's a little bit to do with, uh, anatomy, uh, do I want some anchorage, that kind of thing. If I can easily deliver it. So every case I'm going to use a large bore catheter in this day and age. Yeah. So, so yeah. if I can easily deliver that to the proximal face to clock, uh, being kind of Canadian trained, we thought a lot about uh, cost and, and different kind of things and say, Hey, I'm here. Um, I'm just gonna give it a go. <laughs> yeah. See if this does the trick for me. And, and then if, uh, Hey, that's, yeah, whatever clock composition, that kind of thing, not going to easily come out with, uh, attempted aspiration first, then, uh, you know, immediately almost switch over. Uh, and so, so I kind of. Uh, again, even in techniques, um, you know, with, with, okay, you know, stripping clot, you know, kind of more sandwiching, doing the saves and, and those kind of strategies as, as large work catheters have gotten now up to, you know, kind of 088, um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of more into, okay, can I safely now actually retrieve my combined, you know, my stem retriever all the way through the large bore catheter. You know, but I, but I do try, usually I try more of, of, uh, if I were to gravitate kind of along the lines of save, you know, that would be, that'd be the, you know, the, my, my base. Your go-to, but, kind of like corking that clot and bringing it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about, uh, you Satoshi? Yeah. So, um, I like, uh, combined technique, stent retriever and aspiration catheter for anterior circulation, particularly M1 mm-hmm. and maybe least or ICA. Uh, the reason for that is, first of all, you know, we, we, uh, you know, just a single center publication, it's not the large uh, data, but uh, clearly showed better first pass effect with combined technique. I mean, if we look at the uh, final weekendization or, um, you know, certain factors or certain parameters, we didn't reach to the statistical significance. You know, aspiration is good. Stentrichiba alone is as good. Combined technique is good eventually. But when we looked at the first pass effect, combined effect, mm-hmm. does it make sense? And, you know, if we can use both, Stentrichiba is good, aspiration is good, why not just combining them all together? Right. Uh, so that's our approach until, you know, because of the cost issue, you know, if we are not really, unless we are prohibited doing so, mm-hmm. and I continue to do a combined technique. Posture circulation is different. Upper basilar, 
based on our data, 90% are embolic. So it makes sense that uh, we, you know, we do aspiration and the stent retriever, you know, we may not know the size of P1s. It may be hyperplastic. So I don't want to deploy stent retriever into a, you know, unknown vessel size branch. Uh, so it makes sense that we stay proximal, taking full advantage of, uh, you know, aspiration first. Uh, so basal dip, I, I've been using just aspiration alone. So, uh, I, I do, okay. you know, both. So it's, yeah, yeah. So it seems both of you are both a kind of a co-aspiration. Now, how often would you say that the intermediate catheter just over the microcatheter and wire, uh, or even a snake technique, which, which I don't really do, but how often can you get that up to the face of your clot primarily without, you know, the aid of a stent retriever, like a rail? I mean, can, can you get it up, you know, essentially ADAPT is to get it up there, you know, without using a standard tree. So how often can you get up there or you get stuck on the ophthalmic? You know, I'm pretty much, you know, if we're using that as my front line, you know, they'd like to deliver it. I always give it a go, you know, and, and I'm north of 80%, you know, getting wow. that up and, and, uh, um, you know, the, the other thing though, I, I, you know, would tell people, Hey, if you you know, take that combo, you know, so say maybe, you know, whatever, if you have a bigger shoulder or you're not maybe, you know, uh, thinking of, you know, different techniques to make, you know, uh, there's now obviously, you know, platforms, you can kind of telescope catheters, so to speak, um, you know, to, to, you know, help assist that, take the, take the shoulder off, but, you know, yeah. just get those catheters, you know, as far as they want to go. If, if you, you know, if you aim to get that up and you say, hey, get stuck, just, immediately convert over to combined technique and, you know, don't worry, but, but, you know, you can, a, a pretty high percentage, uh, you can get it up there for sure. Yeah. That speaks to your experience plays. 80% is pretty good. Are you, are you using, are you using catheters you mentioned to decrease the, the shoulder, like offset and things like that to, to get it up there? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's nice, uh, technologies that, that, you know, it just makes sense. You know, we, we evolved along the line of using a, a catheter, a microcatheter that's not a tool designed to deliver now. Yeah. Yeah. 071s and a big cat. We just, yeah. we just borrowed what we had on the shelf. So now I think there is a need and, you know, some nice technologies that basically shoulder reduction, you know, kind of tapering tips and, and getting us, you know, the, there's not a, a, you know, kind of a, a place to get stuck on with a, with a catheter, you know, the bigger catheter. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I've used some of those. I think they're, they're good. I mean, I think even within, um, you know, now we have, you know, obviously different, you know, ID sizes of aspiration catheters. So even combining those together, you can often, you know, kind of yeah. get around some anatomy, but, but, uh, uh, but yeah, but I think, uh, certainly, you know, uh, shoulder reduction tools are, are going to be our future for sure. Got it. Got it. Now I know this question is hard to generalize, but. Um, you know, their catheters are getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, and yeah, our stent retrievers pretty much go up to six millimeters. So when you are thinking of an M1, uh, Satoshi, what's the biggest catheter you're comfortable putting into an M1? And, and, uh, you know, we have newer catheters and stuff that are 088. Are you comfortable getting, you know, that type of guide catheter all the way up there? Yeah. But looking at the, uh, anatomy, uh, many cases I'll say yes, you know, uh, we can put the large catheter, uh, like a Zumo, uh, 88 or Vector, like a 74, that class catheter going up to M1. But sometimes depending on anatomy, uh, depending on the patients, uh, we have to switch down to 060, maybe because of beta baseline, underlying athro. But, uh, I think a vast majority of cases, uh, 
488, uh, I, I think uh, that's a, that's a way to go. Uh, that makes our job much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze, are you, are you doing a lot of 088, like the zoom up into the MCA yet? Yeah. And I, and I think the thing, the key is, um, you know, just don't force things. In other words, you know, I think these catheters, it's more, okay. Um, you know, that's the aim. If it, if it easily goes, the anatomy is favorable. Like Satoshi says, you know, you can get that there, um, in a fairly high percentage of cases, but if it's, you know, uh, not easy to deliver that, then the, the, the key is a, you know, kind of drop your size down and, and you get a catheter that, that is best size match based for the patient's anatomy. But I think it's as a general principle, it's good to aim to get, you know, kind of the biggest catheter, if you like, to the site of the, you know, target vessel that's occluded. And I think there's been some nice work kind of going back maybe to our balloon guy catheter discussion, but, you know, I kind of think of, um, if I get a fairly size match catheter now to that site of occlusion and I'm putting direct aspiration, you know, right at the proximal face of the clot, you know, then I'm really achieving, you know, there's not much flow around that catheter. You're almost size match for vessel. Um, you get, you get some flow reversal, you know, rule and those guys published, you know, fairly recently, you know, just to that same, you know, kind of topic, uh, that you can essentially take your balloon guy catheter equivalent you know, right to the site of, of the clot, you know, so, so I think it is a good aim, you know, to get the biggest catheter you can into the target vessel that's occluded. Um, but, but don't, you know, if, if there's unfavorable anatomy, whatever, uh, you know, don't push it, you know, and just, just, yeah, you're going to use what's comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't, you know, if you're not getting one-to-one, don't push things that bad things right. could happen. What, I mean, now if you're getting your 088 or, or your largest catheter into the MCA, are you just doing ADAPT then? Are you co-aspirating and essentially we talked about sandwiching the clot, are you taking out your entire access then? Are you pulling it into the catheter? Um, Blaze, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I like to, you know, so if you have, yeah, if you have a big 088, I mean, that's the whole beauty of it. Now you're almost, you know, okay, you know, before as the straw, you know, has increased in size, you know, when it was a small little straw, obviously you mm-hmm. could get a handle on clot with aspiration, but when you, you know, pull clot out, you're using the aspiration catheter as a thrombectomy tool, you know, okay, hey, you know, the longer I sit there, I've got maybe a little more of a handle and hopefully there's enough, you know, kind of uh, structural integrity of the clot that I, I retrieve it kind of in, to, in, in total and, and take it out that way. And uh, now with 088, I mean, you're, you know, that size range, if you apply some, you know, I, and again, I think it's, good to do continuous kind of aspiration with a syringe. You can't, you know, maybe do, you know, two minutes continuous, but you know, I, I said, I think of it, okay, I, you know, with this big catheter, I can hopefully very easily ingest the clot. If I've delivered 088 around, you know, some turns, uh, then I do a, a little bit of a reduction, straighten the tip. And if I've waited a little bit, got the clot, you know, well embedded, hopefully, or well integrated in the, in the inner lumen of the catheter. When I straighten it out, I again, wait, I don't just pull it out, even if it's still occlusive on the back end or your, or your, you know, kind of yeah. aspiration tubing and see if I can just suck it through. And with that big, a, with that big a straw, it comes through, you know, a fair number of times where you don't actually, so now the challenge for me is a little bit, don't take the tool out. You know what I mean? Like, like the challenge wait. is deliver that tool and never remove it, you know, remove the clot through it. So that's great. Any, any other tips, Satoshi, that you would do? Um, I guess we're talking more about crowded T and M1s right now. Yeah. So, um, again, I'm a really combined technique guy, unless it's a posture circulation, I, I prefer, really prefer combined technique. Uh, and, uh, again, the reason for that is, 
in no question of centrifuge alone or aspiration alone works, but in, we do a MRI every single case of a post thrombectomy and then looking at the MRI angiogram, we realized that we just published that's a, that's a couple of months ago stroke. We just realized that, uh, you know, new territory or downstream territory, new infarct rate is almost like a 20%. If we what? count, if we count DWI, uh, tiny, uh, in you're foci- counting the little foci. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I mean, that's, that's the fact And uh, you know, there are so many things happening uh, without realizing we are sending out so many, you know, claws, uh, mm-hmm. uh, although, you know, clinically insignificant, but uh, by just look, looking at the MRS number, but, uh, you know, maybe cognitive function, you never know, right? So I, I want to maximize the, you know, clot uh, retrieval or, or chance. And, uh, you know, interesting uh, observation uh, uh, we, we, you know, we found also was uh, patient with poor collateral, they, they tend to develop a secondary clot distal to the uh, uh, primary occlusive clot. So there may be a soft, fragile clot ready to be flown downstream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to deploy centrifuge and uh, that's not just a capture. capture. It, it's just a yeah, capture and also it put it, put it, you know, put the, you know, cloud stay. Stick that. Yeah, yeah. there. And, and then, then, uh, you know, uh, and I try to aspirate uh, or, or try to cover or we seize the centrifuge, you know, try to, try not to distalize any possible tiny soft uh, fragments. And also another thing I pay attention to is uh, we just found out the max, uh, uh, stiffness, uh, uh, upper stiffness that the centrifuge can handle. That's around hundred kilopascal, you know, slightly okay. less than one atmosphere. And usually that's the kind of radial force of the centrifuge. So, you know, sometimes very, uh, uh contracted, uh, well-organized clot, whatever we do with the centrifuge, open up a fluffing, uh, technique, it does not really engage. So it should be, uh, aspirated unblocked. So when I post centrifuge, if I feel resistance, uh, I assume that's a, that's an uncompressible clot. In that case, you know, whatever technique captive or whatever in the name, I don't use those names. I pull them together without, uh, you know, pulling a centrifuge all the way into the aspiration catheter. That that's, that's the only maybe, uh, uh, difference that I slightly do but differently, I would say. Yeah, no, I got it. So. Um, yeah, basically if you feel that, I mean, there's, there are times that I'm sure, you know, you, you're pulling that standard and then it just feels like a rock. I mean, right. it's just, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> exactly. Like Blaze said, don't, you know, don't push things that should, you know, you know, I've, I've gotten it where the stent retriever gets stuck in the intermediate catheter. You can't push it in or out after taking it out. Right. And, and usually those times you find out you got, you got the clot I mm. mean, it's in there. So. Let's go a little bit more distal. I mean, we talked about M1, you know, M2, I think most people are, uh, who do enough stroke are comfortable with co-aspiration there, Maybe. putting a stent retriever in M2, but let's go a little bit harder now. Let's go M3. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, we're going more distal and distal these days. Uh, Blaze, you get an M3 that's in the, you know, inferior division. The patient is having a significant stroke. W- what do you do? What's your approach to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we always have to remember, you know, there's always these pearls that have been passed down, you know, kind of like, you know, we're treating patients, not a picture, you know, so it's very, it's very important, you know, to really match up, like you're saying, okay, you know, a couple things for me, you know, is, is obviously this M3 I'm looking at, is that correlating with the clinical, right? So, so if yeah. I open it, do I have a chance to reverse what's happening to this patient clinically? 
I think you want to know too. I mean, obviously that's a smaller witch of the whole, you know, mm-hmm. kind of pie that, that is, uh, you know, potentially, Hey, what's, what's the salvageability of it? In other words, you know, is it, is it pretty, is it all penumbral stuff? I mean, is it, you know, kind of mostly core, you know, so, so, so yeah, but you, you convince yourself this is something that is, you know, clinically important, uh, you know, that, that, uh, you know, so I think in this day and age with devices that we have, um, obviously, you know, we can fairly safely do that. I think you do want to factor in, um, you know, for me, a TPA, uh, candidate, if they're in the TPA window, they've got TPA on board, uh, that size of clot burden. You know, TPA has a very good chance of working, you know, so, so, so I think, um, that, that factors in the equation. Are they a TPA candidate? Aren't they, uh, age factors in for sure. You know, so the, the further you take anything and tug on those older vessels, uh, we definitely see a fair amount of, you know, kind of, uh, subclinical subarachnoid hemorrhage, as we all know, around those vessels. So I think you do want to have a healthy respect that, um, if you do go after more distal stuff. You know, just again, uh, you know, be cautious. And I think the risk goes up a little bit for sure in, in our procedural approaches. Yeah, absolutely. Satoshi, what about you? Yeah, uh, in echoing uh, what's, uh, what Blaze said, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a judgment, right? So in M1 blocked uh, the patient's in a bad shape, we got to do something. But M3, we have to always uh, talk to ourselves and whether it's worth it, right? And uh, yeah. even M2, uh, uh, clinically silent subarachnoid hemorrhage rate, based on our data, is around 10%, maybe as bad as 12%. That's the max number. So uh, we have to be careful. Uh, that being said, uh, uh, if there's eloquent tissue, we go after. I go after, definitely. And now nowadays, uh, um, you know, uh, like a Zoom catheter, they provide yeah. 88, 71, 40, you know, 40, 55, 30, 50, <laughs> everything. 35, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very convenient. Uh, uh, and the uh, primary aspiration in the distal vessels been working, uh, you know, at yeah. least for, yeah, for me. It is, yeah. So uh, uh, with that, uh, I think uh, it is safer than standard tuber for the last couple of months i've been uh, in full diesel like m3 or a4 a5 um i i i've been using a primary aspiration and it's been working excellent yeah yeah um blaze have you had yeah. had much experience with these smaller uh yeah. you know really it's these zoom catheters that, that have been um out there for these distals yeah and i think it, it is important to think about you know again like we do for anything but you know in, in this uh, even more accentuated you know think about what you're going to use because uh, to me uh, aspiration is you know a little safer in this scenario you know tugging with yeah. a stent retriever you know that that feel you kind of going like, through all those turns it's just the pull and then uh, kind of a release you know whereas you're kind of i, I think of it if i'm that far distal and i'm i'm you know kind of aspirating obviously i'm sort of uh, being fairly atraumatic from the, the vessel point of view, I think there is a few little pearls with the technique, you know, in this kind of a scenario, I mean, it's a small vessel, the clot's pretty wedged in there. Uh, the catheter is smaller, y- you know, leave it for a little bit. You know, I think, uh, the number one thing I see is that, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're impatient. We're, we're, we want, we're, me, this is, uh, where are you? really want to think about an ingestion phase of that little, you know, clot. So, so, so if you're going to go after it, you know, um, hook it up to some suction, pull out for a couple minutes. Well, well, this thing gets really, really wedged in the tip because, you know, you've got a long path to retrieve and there, and you don't want to take your M3 and then 
put it as a distal M1 or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. yeah so so uh, hang on to it if you're going to do it for sure. Sometimes I take my gloves off, you know, just to start <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if I'm in there, I just, yeah. <laughs> need something, some forcing function. Okay. Um, speaking of technique, you, you were talking, so do you like roadmap and then you see the clot and you take the catheter right to the face of it and then turn on suction um, with your wire through the clot? Tell us a little bit more about your technique for for ADAPT, whether it's a distal embolization or not. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think that, you know, in this, so I don't do, you know, for more proximal stuff. And we used to do a lot of mapping, uh, clotograms, you know, all these things. I, th I think, you know, it's, say hey, now just, you know, atraumatically get to the proximal face of clot, you know, the, none of that. But but for these kind of things, we were trying to target a branch, even in M2s and stuff. You know, it's nice to, you know, roadmap. Um, I, just like you're saying, I deliver, you know, kind of and sit just a little bit proximal, you know, to, you know, the, the uh, proximal face of the clot, uh, hook on aspiration. You know, obviously you're not going to get, you know, like you're not with an 088 and a carotid or something. You're yeah. bloodletting. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not going to be a ton of, you know, stuff. And then I That's just nudge it ahead until I'm. So you push it. Then you push it, right? Yeah, then you, you Because I kind of think of it that the, if you really snowplow into this thing, again, you don't, you know, it's a nice opportunity to kind of leave the clot um, exactly like it's laying in the vessel, put the aspiration on proximal to it. And, and you want the the leading face of that clot, the proximal face to kind of deform in and be able to, you know, kind of get inside the inner lumen of the catheter. If you really ram the catheter into the clot and now you've got it all sort of smooshed up and you know, like almost a yeah. mushroom, it's harder for that thing. That's true. It's going to be occlusive right out of the gate. And then it's going to be harder for it to actually kind of get inside the inner lumen. And, and that's what you're trying to do is get a nice handle on it or actually get it actually the whole thing inside the, you know, that you, 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 I guarantee you won't, like our other discussion, you won't clear that clot all the way through. You're going to be occlusive, hopefully, you know, until you remove the catheter. But it's good to get it, you know, a, a good handle on it. And I think if you sit proximal, do your aspiration that way, you have a better chance to get it in the tip. Yeah, great. Yeah, those, those that's that's a really kind of nice way to put it logical about not, not making it a mushroom. Satoshi, what about you? I mean, any differences in your technique? Uh, no, much. Not much difference uh, in the blades, pretty much covered everything. So yeah, this, you know, for, for distal, like uh, using a smaller, you know, 35 or three max class, uh, catheter aspiration, not much difference. But one thing that, that I do, uh, differently, uh, in a little proximal or uh, let's say M2 clock is, uh, you know, it's just, uh, my, uh, Japanese nerdiness, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, in, but you know, I'm really in vitro guy. I, I just want to test everything, not just the new yeah. devices, but the existing devices in vitro. And very interestingly, you know, uh, for example, sometimes, you know, uh, 40 class, uh, unless it's in 45 or 44 or, uh, four max or whatever, you know, for, uh, uh, the catheter that can take a O27 micro catheter in it. Mm -hmm. and, you pass the clot with the O27 and the uh, four, uh, you know, uh, four French, uh, uh, no, uh, four, four, five or whatever catheter follows. Then when you pull out that the uh, O21, O27 micro catheter back into the aspiration catheter, where if you apply a suction to O27 micro catheter, you can catch the Oh. We still end up, if you see, you don't see it yeah, under cool. fluoroscopy, Interesting. But if you see that, uh, uh, everything in vitro model, you know, O27 catheters aspiration is 
cannot be underestimated. It actually takes yeah, tax that one. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, interesting. Yeah, so cool. I, I, I always do that to maximize the engagement of the clock. That's... Do you feel that the 027 can displace the clock because it's bigger than an 021 or that's just a... a yeah, or, I mean, you see it in these ex, in the, these, tri, these uh, models you're doing. Do you see it push the clock ever? Uh, it actually, rarely. It may this it moves the clock slightly distal, but uh, as long as a big catheter almost like occupying a space, that's almost like a serving as a flow control. Yeah. Uh, it does not really uh, distalize the clock that much. Okay. Cool. So that's that's like the the new co-aspiration. Right. 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 That, 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 that's 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 Uber. I mean, we, that, <laughs> that you got to publish on that one. Yeah. That's that. I, like it's all these kind of cool tips and tricks i think you know you don't even think about but i I'll, i'm going to incorporate that even on an 021 i mean fine yeah, I mean, yeah we cannot underestimate yeah we cannot underestimate there's a hole there right. there's you're, you're delivering yeah. something you might as well take advantage yeah. of something like that i mean there's there's data out there right i mean there's the aster trial and compass trial i think all of them say that there's non-inferiority of adapt or direct aspiration compared to stent retriever what does that mean to you i mean what when you're reading a stroke trial, um, what's the most important um, outcome factor or, um, that to you tells you will, will change your practice? Is it is it Tiki? Is it MRS? What, what is it? Uh, you know, for me, uh, first, uh, you know, most important thing uh, when uh, I, I read a, a paper, uh, inclusion, actually. In, 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 uh, what, what To what population, which population, which cohort I can apply this knowledge or data? Uh, right, uh, so that's that's the most important part. And the Tiki, Timi, final recanalization, I think uh, I don't care much unless it's horribly bad. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, MRS itself, I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not that interested because it's just a surrogate of uh, you know, outcome by just looking at the motor functions. But in reality, uh, in, sometimes MRS4 is a success as long as the patient's personality and language, everything, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, preserved, right? And uh, in, in fact, uh, I I had a, my very close relative uh, uh, had a LVO over there in Japan, and uh, uh, final outcome MRS four, totally happy. Initially, mm-hmm. you know, she was mute and uh, completely uh, hemiplegic, but, but now because she's using cane, by definition, it's MRS four. But she can text me, she can email me, you know, uh, she's you know she's there, uh, her quality of life is there, so. Uh, that being said, you know, most important factor, I think is maybe MR, MRS shift towards a better outcome for the clinical trial. I think that's what matters. That's what we do, uh, you know, while patients. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze, any, uh, that, that's, that's great. Yeah, no, that's, I mean. that's great. I, th- I think this is what she's saying. I mean, like it, we, we debated this all along the way. It was, you know, things like, uh, age, should we treat octogenarian, but you know, so, so, so the whole ride has been. As long as it's a delta, you know, I mean, as long as you take yeah. somebody that, like, hey, hey, where they would have wound up and then you, you know, uh, do your treatment and, and there's a, a change to an improvement, you know, so, yeah. So the modified ranking scale, obviously, as we know, you know, uh, you know, to me, it's not a great uh, reflector of how people are doing, just like Satoshi's story, um, you know, if, if they've gone from a, a five to a three, that's a home run, <laughs> that's a yeah. kind of outcome, right? You know, so, so, so I, you know, so I think, you know, to me, the most important thing, I think a little bit when you're looking at, um, you know, obviously there's been an evolution of techniques. We've, we're very blessed to have a, uh, a huge number of great, you know, tools to work with. And so, so, 
you know, it's not so much a, you know, adapt doesn't work or, you know, aspiration doesn't work. Stentry, you know, you know, recanalization works. I mean, getting, getting blood flow back is what makes someone better. Um, you know, techniques, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of different ways we're doing them and that's just, uh, tells us that we have a lot of good options. And so I think it's more, um, you know, uh, how fast do we get recanalization? Uh, first pass effect is, is important to me. I think that, you know, that's the holy grail, of, you know, if you're doing multiple passes, that kind of thing, obviously we know that, um, you know, probably outcome, that kind of stuff is also correlated that it's, that it's not as good. So, so, you know, to have a good first pass effect. Um, and, and, you know, obviously tie that with outcomes, you know, cause, uh, th th those are the most important things from, from, you know, what we, we evaluate. So, so, you know, we always get a little bit of anytime we do something, it's more, Hey, we're going to, you know, it's either or that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, th I think oh, we tough. just need to look, okay. Uh, you know, how do we, how do we translate that into, you know, kind of, um, you know, getting the job done the best way we can and hopefully. Um, you know, like I said, you know, getting it done the first time. <laughs> so that's yeah. uh, great. Yeah. I mean, it's an ever changing landscape. I mean, you have to take each patient, each anatomy, each elbow, um, you know, you have to consider it individually. And, and, um, just like you said, well, any kind of, we'll wrap it up here. And, uh, you know, I want to see any words of wisdom imparting to, you know, our listeners, to trainees, to you know, early career people or, or even other people who are doing, um, stroke intervention, um, anything you want to kind of tell them? <laughs> yeah, I can kick it off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, stroke, you know, we do a lot of great stuff and, and it's a great field to be in, as we all know that, that, uh, practice in this field, uh, but stroke to me is, is just such a rewarding thing. And, and I mean, I, I gravitated over my time. Another debate, the general anesthesia versus moderate sedation. Oh, yeah. But I, I gravitated towards moderate sedation okay. and uh, very reluctantly, I was like, hey, this is here. But, but some of the, I mean, the most impressive thing to me is just seeing someone, you know, just literally resolve symptoms right before your eyes and normalize. I mean, it's, it's, it's miraculous. So I'd encourage people, you know, that there's, uh, you know, obviously, um, sometimes when you get more options, it becomes more confusing, but, but hang in there and just, um, you know, like, uh, definitely stroke is, uh, one of the most rewarding things that we do in our field. And I encourage you just to, um, um, you know, get good at it and, and, uh, you know, getting good is in five or 10 cases, I'd say with stroke, you know, it's, it's 50 to a hundred, you're doing, you're, if you, the more you do. Uh, the, the more you don't have anxiety about doing it and it's, it just becomes like, it's truly my favorite procedure for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great, great words. Uh, Satoshi, what about you? Yeah. Uh, the same thing. It is a great field, um, uh, in, you know, number needed to treat, uh, to save one person, like a four to one or so crazy ratio. <laughs> crazy. I mean, crazy. crazy. I know other medical, you know, procedures yeah. or, you know, surgeries or drugs, you know, uh, this is, this is a great, uh, procedure and also, uh, still, you know, a lot of things to be done, uh, and, uh, particularly devices, uh, less pay, uh, less attention's being paid, but you know, after stent retriever or, or whatever thrombectomy, there may be a 5% to, uh, you know, 10% chance that, uh, we induce stenosis in the treated area, uh, follow-up MRI shows. Uh, so we can even make our devices better, less traumatic. For example, Embotrap doesn't require much radio force, right? 
And, uh, you know, now Tiger's, uh, you know, coming, uh, Tiger Retriever, mm-hmm. you know, when we dribble, essentially no radio force uh, in, uh, to the, uh, to the uh, wall. So that may be interesting. And, uh, if, uh, the catheter become, you know, becomes, uh, completely or less, uh, traumatic by making it very soft, uh, that may be something. So a lot of things that, you know, things need to be done from a device wise, not just clinical trials. So exciting, continues to be very exciting to be in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I'm excited to see the, the new kind of um, things that you come up with, both of you, and, and keep on contributing to this field. It's uh, it's something I'm very excited to be a part of and, and, and work out. And so really, I'd like to thank both of you. This has been really, really educational. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and learn a lot. I mean, even the new Satoshi method of, of an aspiration <laughs> through NO27 and then everything. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Michael, our audio engineer, and uh, we're going to make you guys sound really good. Sounds good. Thank you. We need all the help. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, not at all. Uh, and then thanks for the whole Backtable team. We're looking forward to this. And, and yeah, I'd love to work with you guys again. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. That's great. Thank you. Thank you.